Hello, my friends, and welcome back to the Kokoa Movement Podcast. On this episode, we have Mizbah Hawk. He is a coach out of Revival Strength, a stand-up comedian, and a podcaster. We had a really fun conversation, so I'm just going to jump right in like we always do. And without further ado, Mizbah Hawk. rapid fire questions to get our brains kind of fired up. Um, so let's start with uh, what was the first car you ever owned? First car? Yes, sir. Uh, I had a Honda Civic. A Honda Civic, right on. So who's your favorite superhero? I'd say Batman. Batman's pretty good. Uh, what's your favorite movie? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I think the Rocky series. The Rocky series, just the whole series, huh? The whole thing, yeah. <laughs> right on. I like it. Uh, what's your favorite book? Favorite book? Oh, man, the first thing that comes to mind is probably Kevin Hart's I Can't Make This Up. Oh, okay. <laughs> right on. I'll have to check that one out because you uh, yeah. just got into comedy, right? Or you've been pursuing that for a while? Yes. Yeah, I've I've studied it for a while and enjoyed it for a while and in the last like six months or so I've been performing a lot more cool that's awesome so we'll uh, get back to that I want to kind of um, give everybody a background on who you are and uh, kind of a quick rundown of how you've gotten to where you are now sure thing yeah do you um, so if I was to kind of start with the coaching aspect of things uh, I've always kind of been involved in the fitness industry and somehow since I was like, you know, probably 16 years old, working the front desk at a gym, then kind of becoming a personal trainer, doing a bunch of group classes, red hot spinning, yoga, all that type of stuff. Um, and then over time just kind of found um, a bit of a specialty or of what I was really drawn to, which was, um, you know, Olympic weightlifting and, and CrossFit and spending several years kind of in that field until – I basically was like, all right, how do I, how do I figure out a way where I can make a living out of this almost full time? And you know, the solutions that were out there, um, at least in my area, were it was, it was tough to do that. So basically, I moved across across the country to San Diego to do an internship with uh, Invictus, um, and I did that, you know, over the summer and. Uh, you know, with the hopes of kind of landing something that would be a little bit uh, longer term. And uh, really in that journey is how I got involved with uh, individualized coaching and, and working with uh, Marcus Philly here at Revival Strength. Um, so I get to coach, you know, clients remotely all over the world and write, you know, fitness nutrition programs for them weekly and also get to consult with them on a monthly basis. Um, so, yeah, in regards to coaching, that's kind of, mainly my background with, with podcasting. That's another area of interest of mine. 
Um, that's really what got all of this started in the first place was like, okay, I want to build a body of work. Um, and I, you know, fitness was a starting point for me to do that. But over time, it's definitely evolved into something that's uh, a little more lifestyle related um, and, and mindset oriented. Um, so we do definitely go outside the bounds of fitness a bit. Um, and I'm, I get to be a part of uh, three different podcasts. One is the Airborne Mind Show, which is the one I originally started with. Um, then is Look Good, Move Well, which is with uh, functional bodybuilding in Marcus Philly. The last one is with um, Dr. Megan Caden, who's a psychologist, um, and that is called The Unfiltered Human. So with those things going mm-hmm. on, um, you know, comedy is really kind of the thing that uh, I really try to preserve space for because I enjoy every element of the craft, whether it's writing, performing, um, watching others, all of it. So um, that's something I really prioritize getting out and getting on stage two, three times a week and, and trying to write on a daily basis as well. So those are those are all the different things that are kind of going on right now. Yeah, so that's uh, one of those things where you can kind of see how successful you are because I had to make this appointment through an assistant. And so when you're like, man, I have an assistant, I really made it, you know what I mean? That's pretty, yeah. that's a pretty substantial, you know, uh, level to hit is when you're like, okay, I can't handle this on my own. I need to get to here. And so, um, let's unpack a lot of what you just said there. So, uh, let's start with coaching. So how long have you been doing CrossFit for? Um, so doing CrossFit for probably like four years, four or five years or so, um, I would say now personally in terms of my own fitness, um, I don't know if I would label it as, as CrossFit. I mean, there's definitely elements of that in there, but in terms of kind of using it as a fitness program, um, I, I probably did that for about four years. Okay. So we're kind of about the same as far as that goes. Um Right now, I'm kind of just trying to discover my own fitness journey. So I started CrossFit back in uh, 2010 as a supplement to my martial arts training. And then once I, you know, there's, you know, I hate I hate the phrase, I'm too old for this. But I remember I was doing some kickboxing sparring and somebody kicked me in the knee and I couldn't walk for three days. I'm like, okay, I can't do this anymore. So that's kind of how I transitioned into CrossFit full-time, and then, you know, you get sucked into the competitiveness of it. Um, and then, like, three or, three or more years ago, I kind of got uh, disenchanted with CrossFit just in general now, and I've been kind of on my own fitness journey ever since. And so that's when, um, right around when uh, my wife started uh, training with Michael Band over at OPEX, and then eventually kind of moved over to you, um, and she's been just loving it ever since. So that's kind of we're kind of in the same boat there, where um, CrossFit was beneficial at the beginning, but then at the end you're kind of like, well, I need something more, but I don't really know what that is. And then I think this the individualized uh, kind of programming is where it's at. So let's kind of uh, dive into that a little bit. Totally, yeah. It's it's like the um you know, CrossFit is like the gateway drug, right? And it's uh there's there's so much appreciation that I have for it because without it, you know, things like Olympic weightlifting or uh even elements of bodybuilding and um just these different facets would never really be 
fully recognized and, and potentialized in that way. Uh, but because people want to get better at this thing called CrossFit, it's like they're willing to explore different disciplines and kind of tie that back into either getting better at it for the sake of the sport or starting to see other things like, oh, you know what, I enjoy uh, this part and this part of CrossFit, but uh, my goals are actually a little more body composition related. So that's where individualized coaching comes into play is being able to take the best of different disciplines and philosophies and, and match it up to what, you know, that individual actually needs. Right. Right. So, and I think um, one of the pitfalls of CrossFit is once you start, then you realize that you don't really know how to work out after that. And so I think that's where the individualized programming kind of comes in. And it can kind of steer people towards a more specific direction for them because I think that everybody can do CrossFit, but CrossFit's not for everybody. And I think that um, when you start, you're kind of so far at the other end of health that your body almost craves it in order to get somewhat of a homeostasis and a balance, right? And then once you get there, then you're like, okay, so I don't need this intensity every day, so what do I need? And then that's where I think that the individualized programming comes in. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Totally. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. Cool. So um, now let's move to podcasting. So podcasting is how I found you because um, I am a massage therapist by trade and I'm not your typical massage therapist. I'm, you know, way off the map of just, you know, doing the typical sports massage thing. So my thing is just I crave information. So I'm reading books, I'm watching videos, and, you know, I drive around a lot because we have puppies at home, so I'm driving back and forth quite a bit. So the podcast is one of the ways that I do that. And so uh, I found you first through uh, your Airbone Mind Show. And so I kind of want to um, unpack the podcast thing a lot, a little bit, because I think that is um, a sign of where people kind of stop doing things because they don't really know how to do it. Right, so one day I was like, I want to start a podcast because I want to talk to the same people these people are talking to, but I want to ask my own questions. So then I just kind of started it. And so I think um, kind of an underlying theme of your life is you just start stuff. And so let's talk about how you started the podcast thing and how that kind of evolved to where you're at now. Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting journey because – I was, uh, you know, in that similar boat where I had listened to so many different podcasts and I was already having these conversations with very interesting people um, that I felt like I could connect with and it just wasn't publicly aired. So when I thought about it, I was like, you know, I, I should and could do this. Um, I am genuinely curious and, and have a great time connecting with these people. Um that's really kind of what sparked it for me. Um, and of course the, you know, it's evolved over time in terms of like what my interests are, who I'm interested in talking to, what I'm interested in learning about. Um, and, and the people that are listening, all of that has definitely evolved since it first started. But 
basically it was just that thought of like, huh, I think I could really do this. And at first it was like, you know, it, I, I, I can do this, but it's going to be a couple years before I'm at that point. And then it was like really just questioning that belief of like, well, that doesn't really make any sense. What, what am I waiting for? Is that really valid? Um, and then I realized I was like, well, I need to start somewhere. And no matter what, you're going to have some bad reps that you kind of need to get out of the way. Um, it doesn't matter when you start. So uh, that's when I was kind of like, I reached out to, I think it was Michael Casio at the time. He's been, he's the, uh, you know, he, he hosts the Brute Strength podcast and he's somebody who was uh, influential on me because he took the time to give me some advice and uh, get me started on the right foot. And before you know it, like, I think it was beginning of August, uh, I had thought of like this idea was creeping into my head that I wanted to start this. And by the end of August, I think it was August 27th, I had my first three episodes out. So I had, you know, gotten three guests, recorded the shows and put it out there and been like, all right, let's, let's see what happens. And then it's kind of been rolling ever since. Um, yeah, that was that was really the inception of it all. And then, of course, like I said, over time it's evolved in the sense of, um, you know, using it as a platform to really kind of let people in on, look, this is kind of the way that I look at the world. These are the things I'm interested in, and hopefully some of them kind of resonate with you. Um, and over time that's been an interesting approach because I've, I'm a part of several different podcasts at this point and all with kind of different models and different goals. And so it's interesting to see some of like the core principles from each um, and, and how that can kind of tie into somebody's individual goals. Right. So, you know, you doing a podcast or somebody else doing a podcast, it's like I think the biggest thing is identifying what you want to get out of it um, and getting getting as clear on that as you can because that's going to set your set you up for either success in in the future or it's going to kind of lead to a breakdown at some point if that like the intention isn't isn't correct. Right. So I think it's the way that I've been kind of looking at everything is that it's all the same thing, right? So like when you're in the coming from the massage world, they teach you muscles and then they teach you fascia and then they teach you the nervous system and then they teach you the digestive system and all that different stuff, but it's all the same thing. And so that's, that's the way that I think about, you know, athletes in the gym, you know, so like the mental side, the, psych the psychological side, that's the physical side, it's all the same stuff. We're just trying to build this athlete into a better person, you know, so then that's where there's a lot of people that kind of hesitate, like especially with CrossFit for some reason, because I was the same way coming from a mixed martial arts background. I was really intimidated by the the perception of CrossFit, where I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to die, and this is going to be the worst thing ever. But I've been training six hours a day with people, like, literally trying to hurt me. And so then once I realized, oh, I'm just going to work out real hard, that's not really a problem. I don't have to put my mouthpiece in. Nobody's trying to beat me up. That's kind of where people kind of hesitate because they look at, like, the rich cronies. They're like, well, I can never do that. And you're like, you're right. You can't, but you can still do CrossFit, right? You just can't do what the 1% is. Or I can never, like, looking at Joe Rogan and be like, well, I can never have a podcast that has, like, millions and millions of listeners. And you're like, probably not. But you can have people that find your message valuable or, you know, like luckily, um, you know, 
Michael Bang has been uh, being interviewed more often since he's becoming more prominent in the coaching world. And I uh, actually trained with him across the Flagstaff back in uh, 2010. But he's really instrumental in the education path that I have been taking because he was just like, go take this course, and then I did, and then opened up rabbit holes. So um, I think it's really important message for people to just start, and if you um, get the right people, then people will start to listen and then start to gravitate towards what they want to hear, right? Totally. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those things, like, in the beginning, you almost have to be comfortable with the idea that uh, even if nobody is listening, like, would you still kind of show up and record these conversations anyways or have these conversations anyways? Because for a long, long time, I can tell you it was just like, you know, a couple hundred downloads. And even if I'm getting, like, these really big names, quote-unquote, right, that are uh, popular in the fitness industry and people want to listen to, it's like it it just is not um, – especially with more and more podcasts out there, it's like if the metric of more and more people listening is the only thing that's driving you, and I think I fell into that category at one point too, it's like you set yourself up for disappointment because um, it's it's just like kind of doing CrossFit for the score on the board, right? It's like the intent isn't, isn't correct. And so if you can kind of find the other ways of satisfaction of like, all right, well, just having the conversation itself is the fulfilling part for me. Um, then it's like, it's, it's weird how it works, but the other parts slowly start to kind of click in. Um, so, yeah, I agree with you in the sense of, like, you you do have to kind of start somewhere. And, you know, the, that idea of usually, like, oh, I'm going to start this later or a couple of years from now or whatever, it's like, you know, if you start now, you'll get the bad reps out of the way. Uh much quicker because you can't shortcut that part, right? It's like sure. you're first starting something regardless of what it is. There's going to be several, several attempts at kind of finding your voice or getting past the awkwardness or the filler words or whatever it is that's kind of your struggle in the beginning. Um, so, you know, delaying it a couple years or whatever is only delaying that part as well, right? Versus if sure. you start to be at it early, you can work through some of those kinks um, and settle into maybe a really nice groove a couple years in or whatever. Right. And so maybe that's an underlying fear, people, is uh, just the fear of failure. Or that somebody will listen to one podcast and be like, oh, this person's an idiot, and then never listen to it again, or uh, whatever the case may be. But, you know, through coaching CrossFit for so long, I have been trying to jam it into people's heads that failure is not a bad thing, it's just a thing. So, like, if you go up and you attempt that deadlift and it doesn't get off the ground, then it didn't get off the ground. Like, your life's not over. You know, your your husband or wife isn't going to divorce you because you didn't get that deadlift. It just means that you reached that limit of what you're capable of doing. And so if you have an interview that's not top-notch or, um, you know, there was a couple of times where I was really tired and not really 100% in the game, like, I don't think – Bad reps are bad. I just think that they're reps. And, you know, the more you flex that muscle, the stronger it gets. Yeah, that's, that's exactly how it works. And it's, uh, it's easier said than done for sure. Cause, yeah. knowing, you know, there's definitely certain things I've been through. Like, um, comedy is, I think, the most extreme example because, for sure. you know, 
bad, bad refs are bad refs, and you staying yeah. up there on stage and bombing is like you have to do it. it it's, the, it's the way you actually find get material, develop material, and, and mold it into something that actually does work when it matters. But it's like the feeling of actually being up there and bombing and everybody looking up at you and, and there's just silence. Like, you feel that in your bones. And it's one of those <laughs> things that I remember um, how terrifying it was for the first couple of times. And not to say that now it's like it, it's easy to bomb, but it's almost like you can detach yourself a little bit easier, right? Where it's like you already know going in that, all right, well, we're just getting in reps here. Um, I'm working with new material or whatever the case might be. And it's just... Uh, you, 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 you're able to move on a little bit easier than kind of like let it ruminate in your head for days on end. Like, oh my gosh, I can't let that, uh, you know, let that set kind of get off my mind. So, um, yeah, it, it's definitely a work in progress and in, in whatever it is you do. But, um, if you can shift that, like that whole failure mentality and, and make it work for you, um, you know, the possibilities are endless, whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, Joe Rogan talks about that all the time, right? Like, so him bombing has been some of the most valuable experiences of your life, right? So um, just just sticking through it and then, because there's that famous quote, without struggle there is no growth, right? So that's how you grow and that's how you get better is by sucking at stuff. And, you know, the everybody sucks at stuff. You know, you just happen to suck that time. That just means that that was a bad rep, just like you said. But if you keep flexing, then the stronger you get and then the better you get, right? So it's, it's, if the whole underlying message that I'm reaching for here is that if you are afraid of failure and that's what's keeping you from starting, then you need to change your narrative because failure isn't something to be afraid of. It's something to be embraced, right? Totally. Yeah. It's like start to kind of explore how you view failure and, and where some of those, that like you said, that narrative, where was that written? Where did it come from? I think exploring all of that stuff is extremely valuable. Um, and though it may not just like magically eliminate or solve it all up front, it's like it gives you information to kind of go off of. And, you know, with time and, and with work, it's like that you can really make that stuff work, you know, in your favor. Right. So I was listening to the Tim Ferriss podcast with Jamie Foxx, and he said something really interesting where he said there's nothing on the other side of fear. So whatever your mental roadblock is, that's fear. But if you get to know that fear and then look on the other side of it, then there's really nothing there. So the reason why I started martial arts a long time ago was because I was afraid of conflict. And then I did the the ultimate form of conflict without going into, you know, a military combat situation, which is like cage fighting, right? So I did one cage fight, got completely ran over by that guy. Like, talk about a failure. I just got beat up. And, but then on the side of that, I was like, well, that's not so bad. I have a broken nose and, you know, I'm fine other than that. And so then you start to realize that there's really nothing to be afraid of on the other side of that. And so now that you understand what that failure is that you're going after, then you can start to kind of pick it apart and get better at that one thing that you've been afraid of for so long, which is just starting. Yeah, that's uh, that's so interesting. That's cool that you were able to put yourself kind of in that situation and come out the other end. It's like a lot of times, I mean, 
failure or the idea or thought of failure brings up um, or it elicits fear, right? It's like right. there's something that you're scared of that kind of uh, comes out of you. And, and I always think um, it's worth exploring because, like you said, what Jamie Foxx said, it's like there's nothing on the other side of fear. Well, yeah, it's like if you if you dig into it deep enough and kind of explore some of those facets deep enough, you might find that it lead, it does lead to nothing. It's like Correct. what you are afraid of is something that, you know, um, with enough self-inquiry, you can you can get to the root of something that frees you up a little bit, you know, and allows that process to become a little less fearful or a little less painful. Um, and then, of course, it's like when you do something that you're afraid of or that you're afraid of failing and you come out the other end and you realize you're okay, um, it's just, it's, uh, it's momentum, you know, and you're able to do it again and do it again. And just like bombing on stage, it's like the more you do that and, and you start to see it as like, oh, this is, this is valuable. This is an opportunity I'm using to see what works and what doesn't. And, I'm, I'm still alive at the end of this. Uh, right. It wasn't really that big of a deal. But so uh, something that I bring up with my wife a lot is, you know, questions solve problems. And the way to solve problems about yourself is to ask yourself questions, right? So then kind of um, unpacking this thing a little bit more. So, you know, with comedy or cage fighting or starting a podcast or whatever, the, what you have to ask yourself is, is the emotion that you're feeling really fear or is it anxiety or is it embarrassment or what are you truly feeling at the moment? Because I think that people tend to confuse anxiety and fear in those situations. So the anxiety of not really truly understanding what the outcome is going to be, you know what I mean? And that stops a lot mm-hmm. of people, right? And so then just kind of going forward anyway and being in the present moment because, you know, especially in cage fighting, I've done multiple jiu-jitsu tournaments also, or CrossFit's a good example, I'm sure. Comedy's a good example. If you stay in the present moment, then that's when you're clicking, that's when you're in that flow state. And if you go too far ahead, then that's when you start to get screwed up. Right, so like if you're in CrossFit space and you're doing Murph, and you get through that mile run, and then you're like, "Holy shit, I got so much work to do right now, and I'm real tired," then that performance is going to be less instead of just going through. Okay, I'm going to do one round of two, four, six, or one round of five, ten, fifteen, and then just keep clicking off those rounds. Okay, so now. This is where the trick really comes in is in that second mile of Murph, right, where you're just like, we're just going to run to that corner, and then we'll stop, and we'll take a little break. And then you get to that corner, and then you're like, okay, so now we're, we got to this corner. We're fine. We're just going to run to that next little driveway, and then we'll take a break there. Okay, now we're going to go to the mailbox and then stop there. You know what I mean? So you're in the present moment of whatever you're doing instead of looking at the the amount of work that you have ahead of you, right? So and you can probably attest to this with your uh, comedy, right? So, like, you can't think of the next joke that you're going to do or you'll screw up the one that you're on, right? Yes, exactly. It's like there's um, comedy as a funny way of sniffing out, like the audience can sniff out when you are not in the room, right? When you're right. in the room but mentally you're not in the room. You're in your own head. 
um, and you could deliver the exact same set thinking that you did it the exact same way two times, and the one time it doesn't work, I mean, there's a there could be a bunch of reasons, but oftentimes it can come back to you just weren't able to connect in the right way, and sometimes that's because you're in your own head thinking a little too far ahead or, you know, being the critic and being the performer at the same time, which doesn't yeah. work. You have to perform. You know what I mean? Like, you have to perform when it's time to perform, and then there is a time for the critic to kind of be there, but they both can't exist at the same time, or else nothing nothing gets done. Nothing really moves forward. Um, that, that's a key, key concept, I think, in, in comedy with um, with performance and rehearsing even. It's like, you can't look at words on a page and and say it out loud and you know do it like you're performing and then also be like wait but i flubbed a word here let me go back and fix it it's like you need to be able to just get it out and and then yeah. you know even if it's five seconds later turn around and and then let the critic kind of do its job so i'm sure that analogy could be used for you know other ventures as well but um it, it's it's been interesting to kind of see how that all plays out in, in the context of comedy Right. So this is, and, you know, so that's why I keep saying everything's the same thing, right? So like, you know, the, when you're coaching, uh, people for a CrossFit workout, and I'm sure you've heard this over and over again, where they look at the workout and you're like, oh man, this is going to be really terrible. You know, I'm not really good at this. I'm not really good at that. I'm just going to be, oh, that, that's too many calories to row or whatever. And you're just like, so you're defeating yourself before you even started. Like, why don't you focus on warming up first? And then why don't you focus, you know, on what you're doing right now and focus on the people around you and focus on your breathing and calm yourself down so you don't just go in there prepared to fail, right? So it's mm-hmm. a, it's there's a lot of uh, mental stuff that goes on there. So, you know, I had a, a friend of mine who was competing in a jiu-jitsu tournament, and he called me, and he's like, hey, what if this guy takes me down? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, I'm just, I haven't been practicing my takedown defense. Like, what if this guy comes in and takes me down, then I'm screwed. And then what if he just gets me and arm bars me? And I'm like, so how about you weigh in first? Like, you're not even in, you don't even know what weight class you're in. Like, just weigh in first. And then drink some water and, you know, rehydrate and focus on that. And then, you know, like, you haven't even driven down to Phoenix yet. Like, what are you even talking about? You're like... 15 steps ahead of what you're doing right now. No wonder you're overwhelmed and freaking out about stuff. You know, it just hasn't even happened yet. So uh, what is, you know, uh, speaking on that, what's your preparation for going out and uh, doing a comedy show? What do you do beforehand to kind of get yourself in the moment? Um, I I find, uh, well, one, I think just, the confidence of of preparation so knowing like you know there's different settings in comedy that you're working out your stuff in right some are open mics some are internal open mics and then some are showcases or actual shows that you're doing for you know people that you know or people that you don't know like a live audience versus other comics in, in the audience and so for a show that matters where you're like okay I, I've, I've worked on this set. I've done it before. I know what works. I know what doesn't work. And it's about me now connecting with the audience. So really it comes back to having confidence in, in what your material was, knowing where you want to go, how you want to do certain things, 
because that's the first layer of anxiety is like sometimes you just don't know your material well enough yet or, you know, some of those basic things. So once that's down, it's like now there's some space for me to connect with the audience and improvise and go with things that are in the moment. Um, so making sure all that is done is usually the biggest, uh, biggest, you know, stress relief before going in. And then I would say, um, it's, it's a matter of, uh, at least for me, it's, it's, it's waves of anxiety and then calm and stillness. It's like, uh, I can be calm for the whole day and then get extremely nervous, you know, when I'm actually there sitting in the back, like waiting for, to go up and hearing other people. And then I can go through more waves of just calm than a little bit of anxiety again. So the thing I found to manage it is definitely meditation. Um, and I, I like, and I've tried different styles of meditation, but the one that I, uh, that has resonated with me the most is TM. And so that technique has really kind of helped me, uh, find like a sense of, that sense of stillness that you're looking for so that you can, you can be as you as you want to be when you're on stage. Um, that I found to work really well, but like I said, it's a challenge, uh, to be able to kind of, just waver back and forth between the waves of anxiety and then the waves of calm and feeling feeling ready to roll. And then, of course, it's like once you actually hit the stage, it's a different feeling. It, it seems to kind of go away a little bit, but it, it's that anticipation and really just managing all of that uh, beforehand that, that, you know, tends to be the challenge. Right. So that's, that's really interesting. So I've done, you know, a lot of different things that, since, you know, I've done cage fights and jiu-jitsu tournaments and then multiple, multiple CrossFit competitions and then, um, you know, the, the, the Scottish, the, the Irish games and, you know, the, then Olympic weightlifting and that's like a whole different thing. So like, you know, my baseline was like, well, you know, from that cage fight, like, well, nobody's going to beat me up. I'll be fine. And then, you know, I'm warming up my snatch for this, um, weightlifting competition and my you know hit my opener and then hit what my second plan was supposed to be and then I walk out there and I stand on the platform and everybody shuts up and looks directly at me and I'm like whoa this is a different thing like what is happening and I instantly started sweating buckets missed my first two snatch attempts and then you know just go after the third one and just like you were saying just like this overwhelming anxiety and then just being like, okay, so I need to get it together and I need to hit this lift or I'm completely out of this competition. So sometimes I think that, you know, the when the stakes are a little bit higher, then that kind of gets you, you know, later being focused instead of just focused. And then I just, luckily for me, just went out there and hit that lift and then was able to move on to the cleaner jerks. But, man, it's just the the – so I guess what I'm getting at is like one stressor isn't easily compared to a different one. They're all just different stressors, right? Totally. Yeah, I can resonate with that as well. It's like I uh, competed in Olympic weightlifting for a couple of years too, and, and knowing that feeling of uh, getting out there on the platform and just trying to mimic what you've been doing in your head, but being thrown off by some of the other stressors or environmental factors that are kind of uh, in your vicinity, it's like, yeah, that's a that's a challenge in and of itself. And really, if you want to compare it, it's like there's there there are a lot of similarities between something like that and then something like uh you know a 
a drunk heckler in the crowd, like, interrupting your set and then you having to deal with it, you know? Like, right. there's, there's, there's so many similarities between high-stress situations of performance or even day-to-day that you could, you could try to draw some parallels between, like, kind of like you are. Yeah. So I think that the underlying message that we're kind of unraveling and pointing to here is that the more stressors that you have in your life, the easier it is to deal with stress. Right, because I think that that's a really important aspect of coaching is, you know, judging how stressed out people are and then, you know, talking to them about what they can expect out of their workout because of that. You know, so, you know, like you um, coaching my wife, who's a CVICU nurse, like you coaching her the day that she – or you writing her a workout the day that she gets off of, you know – three 12-hour shifts in a row is a lot different than you writing the workout for her when it's in the middle of her time off, right? And then compare that to when the the day that she – before she goes back to work, right? So uh, let's kind of talk about that a little bit. Yeah, this is a great topic because really I think what we do as coaches is we're stress managers, you know, it's really a matter of basically, because anybody can write workouts that are going to beat somebody up or be really hard and make you be like, oh, my God, that was such a great workout. It was so hard, and I can't move for the next three days. But it's, it's the ability to recover from that, show up again the next day or show up several times a week or be able to sustain that for a certain period of time, whether it's a couple weeks, a couple months, years even, right? So. Taking stress into account is something I do with, I know, all of my clients, um, and I like to explain it kind of like a bucket, right? Think of there being a stress bucket, and within that, there goes mental stress, emotional stress, and physical stress. Physical stress is the training that you're doing, um, you know, food that you're eating, right, because that's definitely also stress on, on your digestive system and your body. So there's that layer. Then you have mental stress, which is just day-to-day life, whether it's uh, the nine-to-five job that you are, uh, you know, uh, the, the things that you might encounter with your kids, like whatever the case might be, there's all these different forms of stress that uh, even though you might not be able to, like, objectively put it up on a board, like you did this many repetitions of this and that, and so it calculates into this much stress, your body is still perceiving it as stress. So you need to take it into account and just make sure that the bucket is not overflowing. And because if the bucket is overflowing, you're not going to adapt and and it's not going to be uh, trending in the positive direction. And we see that time and time again. It's like people are just overloaded with stress because they work nine to five jobs. They also have a family, but then they train like they're trying to go to the CrossFit Games, right? And you're just not recovering fast enough to be able to sustain this. Even if it feels good and it feels like you're being productive, it's it's just the reality is you're not, uh, you know, if you look at the progress over a period of a couple months, a couple years, it's like you're just not trending in the right direction. And what happens oftentimes is that that less is more mentality, um, if you can start to kind of surrender to that a little bit, um, it works pretty well. Because like you said, with somebody like your wife, you know, she is coming off of a very high-stress scenario uh in a day like being in the icu right so if you were to do something like fran as soon as you get out of there 
like your system, maybe it can hang that day. But if you right. if you do that over a period, a couple of weeks, couple of years, that starts to add up to a point where it's just not positive anymore, and you will really start to pay the price for it. So yeah, it's taking into account the total stress that you experience, um, and oftentimes a lot of that is just investigating outside of the gym what are what are the stressors there um and then yeah designing something that helps to balance the equation out a little bit more awesome and so that um i kind of want to talk about your transition from uh crossfit to your individualized programming at that uh, revival strength so let's talk about that transition for you a little bit yeah, um, I think the main thing behind that transition for me was like, I, I don't know, I, I know from a very early age when I got involved in the fitness industry, I just watched what other people did that, um, you know, some people that I wanted to emulate, right? So mentors or heroes that I had and what they were doing. And me starting to kind of live live that path a little bit, I started to quickly realize, like, okay, where's this going? Because um, for me, it's like, with, I mean, realistically, with working at a typical uh, CrossFit gym, it's like, okay, you, you're getting paid a certain amount of money per hour. There's only a certain amount of classes in the day. Even if you could muster up the energy to coach all the classes in one day and do that every single day, five days a week like you do the math on whatever that comes out to and you know let's say you live in the bay area like you're living here um it's just it's not sustainable in terms of making a living out of it or you get to a point where you can only sustain that for so long and then you just burn out you burn out really hard so for me it was finding like well okay i don't want that i need something that's a little more um yeah, a little more sustainable for me as a professional. And, you know, individualized coaching or that model that we kind of use now, um, and I've gotten experience multiple different models over the years, I find is the most effective at the moment because uh, it allows for a little more hands-on coaching. It allows for a little more professionalism. Uh, it allows for a little more job security um, and, and a multitude of those things. So, for me, as as a fitness professional, it was a no-brainer to kind of start to build up, uh, you know, build up a clientele and and experience within this model versus continuing um, to kind of keep going with the group model. It's like it was great, and and I loved so many parts of it, but um, I had to kind of look out for myself here and see, like, okay, well, what is going to actually allow me to keep doing this for a long time? And and the answer was finding something financially that was a little more sustainable as well. Right. And so I think there's also um, a little bit more wiggle room. So I think that, you know, with uh, with the way that CrossFit's kind of structured, you come in, you hit it as hard as you can. You know, it's uh, I feel, um, and this is just my personal opinion, there's a lot of anxiety underlying anxiety there so i have to beat my old time i have to beat the person next to me i have to beat my old lift i you know i have to i have to constantly keep upping my game or i'm not getting good across it and then so when you have that day like we were just talking about where you know you went to work all day 
your boss yelled at you, you came home, your, excuse me, your kid was, you know, pitching a fit, um, you didn't have dinner ready, and then you go to the gym and you just have an awful workout, and then there's a lot of, oh, man, I didn't beat my old time, I didn't, I didn't beat the guy next to me, you know, my lift was awful, you know, my CrossFit total was garbage, I was like 200 pounds lower than what I normally am, and, you know, I feel like there's a lot of anxiety around that, but um, if you kind of start looking at it like you're going to have a movement practice for life and start treating CrossFit that way, then I think that that's a healthier way to kind of look at it. So, And then I think that the individual individualized programming, you can start adding different elements in there that aren't, you know, typical, you know, CrossFit movements where, you know, like that's, you know, I've been madly in love with the the functional bodybuilding idea. Like you can do some bicep curls. It's cool. Like it's fine because that's an accessory muscle to the pull-up. So if you want to get better at pull-up, do bicep curls where, you know, that's a, a traditional gym thing where CrossFit kind of poo-poos on it a little bit. You know what I mean? So I think uh, Marcus Philly's done and uh, you have done a great job in – being like, hey, we can add these extra movements in there to balance your body out, you know, give you some joint independence before you have your joint interdependence before you go and work out. And then, you know, you can cater the workouts more towards what the person's stress levels are like we just discussed. Totally, yeah. It's just, it's. I mean, the idea behind this is like the control points are just, uh, it's just, it's different and and um you know instead of the singular focus or a majority of the focus being the time on the board or a certain score or rxing something or beating the person next to you like all of that is removed and now the only thing you have to compare yourself against is just yourself right um right. there's no there's no crazy load that you're or for the most part, comparing against because, oh, well, now you're using tempo and now you're using reps and those things dictate what your loads are going to be. Um, and now we're talking about lifestyle and we're talking about what you actually want out of your fitness, right? When's the last time somebody got asked that question? And, sure. and when's the last time you got to dig a little deeper beyond like, oh, I just want to lose some weight or I just want to I just want to get stronger or perform better. It's like those are the answers everybody gives, but getting right. deeper behind that and understanding what what role fitness plays for this person or how it can kind of optimize their existing lifestyle, I think that's that's the question. And then from there, it's easier in an individualized setting to be able to develop something that's going to support that versus managing, you know, 15 people in a class who you're trying to um, basically, yeah, it, it, I mean, I find it, I've seen um, group classes that are a little more tailored and a little more customized, uh, but it's it's difficult. It's really difficult yeah. to be able to give everybody the attention that they need for their specific goals. Um, that's just not something that I think in a group environment um, where if you have one or two workouts that are on the board, you can't give everybody that same attention. So it's just it's a different uh, it's a different game, and I think that each have their own you know pros and cons. But um, yeah, it, it, it can certainly give the coach more opportunity to actually coach because there's so many other elements of coaching that you can't do in a group you know in a group class where 
you have to make sure things are moving and people are getting in and out on time and they're, you know, you're managing 15 people at once versus sitting down and having a one-on-one conversation or managing a couple of different people who all have different programs. Um, I just think for the coach and for the client, it's, it's a win-win situation when you uh, can start to kind of introduce the individualized model. Right. Right. I agree completely. And it's, you know, that is, I think one of the benefits too is if you, if your athlete comes in or in your case, if you're doing remote uh, coaching and they call you and they're like, I feel like garbage today. Cool. Row, you know, you're going to row 5k for at, you know, 70% of what you would if you were doing a time trial and then, you know, just kind of mellow that out or you're going to do, you know, heavy-ish farmer carries for this amount of distance and then you're going to rest five, six minutes between each thing and then, you know, we're going to kind of go from there. And then the next day, you know, they're feeling a little better. Cool, we can do a more intense workout and it's just more variable, I think. Whereas, you know, if if you're in a group class setting, and you just come out of the gym, you're like, God, I feel like shit. Well, your coach filthy fifty. You know what I mean? We're just gonna get after it. So I think, um, and this is like I keep saying, this is my uh, personal bias and my personal opinion. But if if you go into the gym and you don't want to do filthy fifty, you should have the option to do something else. And I think that the the coach should be there for them and also tell these people that I think it's one of the the important messages that I'm trying to put across is that if you are choosing CrossFit as your movement practice for the rest of your life, then you need to treat it accordingly. So you need to realize that there's not going to be, you know, PRs every day. You need to realize that you're not going to get a muscle up in the next two months. Like, if you get a muscle up within the next one or two years, but you built up the prerequisite strength in order to do a muscle up, then great. But you're not going to do CrossFit for three years and then just quit doing CrossFit forever. You're planning on doing it indefinitely, then you need to act accordingly. Totally. And, and this raises the question of something like asking the questions of why do you even need to do a muscle up to right. get – your goals like what what are your goals if, if they are something like hey improving body composition losing a bit of weight feeling good looking good like a muscle up is is not the only way that you know just by you achieving that and and reaching that goal yeah it's, it's great but at the same time is it tying back to your bigger picture goal um and i think a lot of times it's like that question is something we don't explore enough and sometimes it can be liberating when you're like, oh, well, I don't have to run a marathon to lose weight because that belief might have been ingrained, you know, several decades ago, just kind of growing up and hearing things, you know, from previous trainers or friends that you had or things like that. And um, so that that's one element of it. And I think the other thing that you mentioned was um, the, the pre- there, there's a certain pressure Right. I've, I've felt the same pressure when I go back to visit, um, you know, like the, the box that I used to work at or other CrossFit gyms. And it's like, depending on the culture of the gym, it can be very difficult for you to kind of say, ah, oh, I'm not doing the filthy 50 today. I'm going to do, 
you know, an easy 2K row here, right? It's like, right. oh, well, I should doing this workout. Come on, jump in. Like, you get a lot of that in a group environment if, right. if that culture has been molded that way. And right. um, it's, it's really hard to kind of do your own thing and, and rehab yourself out of that when everybody else around you is, is kind of going this one direction. So right. sometimes it's, yeah, it takes a lot of, like, willpower, and understanding on your own part of like what's good for you, detaching from your ego a little bit, um, and or sometimes removing yourself from the environment completely <laughs> to be able to find something that's a little more um, in line with what you want. Um, and I, I'm not saying that you can't make progress or you can't get to where you want to go with with CrossFit, but like you said, you need to find you need to incorporate certain things within your practice that make this something sustainable for you long term um and and that's that's still a question mark in the sense of you know what gym you're at um you know what the culture of the gym is like what your goals are and a multitude of questions before you can solidify what those things are but it's definitely worth doing right so like you know as an example are handstand push-ups cool yeah are they do they are they fun yeah do you need to do them no like there's so many other ways to Get strength in your shoulders. You know, that's one of the the things I think is like the underlying theme of like the functional bodybuilding thing where, you know, Marcus can teach you a thousand techniques or he can teach you a concept. And then that concept reveals a thousand techniques. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I think that if you like what I think is really, um, I'm thinking about the whole functional bodybuilding movement is that it allows you to explore movement without having to do it for intensity or having to do it for load. Like you just go out there and, you know, I saw one the other day that I thought was freaking phenomenal, which was like a farmer carry hang, uh, hang clean and jerk with a dumbbell. That was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. But that's like, you know, part of the stuff that this guy comes up with because he's like, hey, I'm not tethered down to one ideal anymore. And now I have this concept of what I want to accomplish. And then this is how I accomplish it. And you can also explore your own movements too. Yeah, you. I think you said that perfectly. It's um, there. There's so many, and there's a time and place for for that intensity, like you're talking about, or more complex movement patterns, or whatever. But um, yeah, it's starting to zoom out a bit and and start to ask those questions of like, okay, why do you? Why are you so tied to this belief that like a handstand push up is what you need to feel like you have strong shoulders, or that you're fit enough or whatever it's like who did you hear that from <laughs> how far back does that go and and a lot of times when you explore that enough you come to a place where it's like oh you're you're mimicking somebody else's idea of what fitness or ideal fitness is and and i personally think that everyone needs to develop their own individualized version of what fitness means to them right it's like what how does fitness play a role in your life not not people that are around you, not Greg Glassman, not right. any other person out there. It's like, what, how do you start to borrow some of those concepts and, and use it in a way that's uh, enhancing your own life versus just looking at it from a global perspective and trying to group everybody into one box? Right. Perfect. All right. Well, we're about out of time. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to uh, come on the podcast and talk to me. It was a very fun conversation. Um, let's uh, 
give people a good idea of where they can find you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I, I had fun and uh, uh, you asked me some great questions today that got me thinking and exploring my own ideas. So I always appreciate that. Um, oh. but you can go to mizhq.com, M-I-Z-H-Q.com, and that's like the hub for everything that's kind of going on. So you can find all the different podcasts there, blog posts that are going on. Um, if you want to come to a comedy show and you're in the area, you can sign up for that as well there. Uh, you can go check out Instagram. Uh, my handle on Instagram is at Airborne Mind, A-I-R-B-O-R-N-E. Um, so you can also keep up with what's going on there as well. Perfect. All right. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Take care. Peace.